Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for you today is that the message you hear will encourage you and inspire you to walk closer with Jesus this week. Well, I want to tell you guys that that song, how we don't deserve his blessings, we didn't earn it. I want to tell you guys that I'm very blessed today uh, to be here in Madeira. It's an honor. Um, I came to know the Lord of of the Lord in a very small town in in Northern California. So being here is kind of a a turnaround, a comeback of uh, my roots. And I don't know if you guys know, but Faith and I uh, met a couple, uh, maybe uh, less than this year. Yeah, this year. And she uh, helps me, does our books for Real Life Church. She, she puts us in the right place. And um, when we met, we found out that we know a couple people. In fact, she was a kid in the youth group that I worked for. And um, so that was cool to see that she's still serving the Lord. How many of us can praise God? She is still serving God. Yes? Josh is happy about that. Um, and uh, got to know her, and we just have a lot of similarities, and Josh, fantastic pastor, we went to dinner with them last night. I want to tell you guys that you have some of the best pastors in California in the world. You guys agree? It's not easy to be bivocational. Uh, we talked to Josh last night about the bees. My husband back there, Adam, he uh, kind of loves bees. Uh, I, in his other life, he would be a beekeeper. And so Josh is basically his idol right now. He's, yeah. So um, that was cool to see. And then uh, it's just, uh, like I said, a blessing to be here. It's been a a good time already. Time change last night. See, here's the thing. Everybody talks about fall back being the best time of the year. But if you have kids, it is not the best time of the year. No best time. It is not. In fact, this morning, you know, it's supposed to be, they're supposed to wake up at, you know, 637 and my son, who he's my middle son, his name's Sammy. He's the middle between two girls, and we call him the Sammy Sandwich. My sweet little Sammy sw- Sandwich woke up at 5.40 a.m. in our hotel room. And in the nicest motherly voice I could muster at 5.40 in the morning, I was like, don't make any noise. Don't wake your sisters up. So um, fall back someday when I'm a grandma. When I'm a grandma, fallback will be good again. Um, like I said, I have three kids. I have a daughter that's 10, a son that's 8, and a, a, another daughter that is 5. She was a surprise. I was done with two. She surprised us with being our third, and she is still surprising us to this day. She, we call her our wild card. Um, she is wild. She's, she's a blessing, right? She's a blessing. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Again, my husband, Adam, back there, he owns an audiovisual company, so he goes to all kinds of churches. Uh, his company was just here working at Children's Valley Hospital. Is that the name? Valley. Close enough. Valley Children's Hospital, and uh, we have some good friends from this area, so he's very familiar. So, again, it's just really good to be here today. You guys are all beautiful. It's awesome. Okay, so today we're going to talk about bitterness. Are you guys ready to talk about bitterness? Wow, that was a good response. Usually I am not ready to talk about my bitterness. Uh, but I know that when I, like, when I hear someone speak, that a lot of times I like to hear from experts. Okay, I like to hear from ex- experts on the topic. Who listens to TED Talks in here? Yes, okay, a couple of you. So TED Talks are really awesome because you get to hear from 10 to 15 minutes from an expert. And I want to tell you today that I am an expert on bitterness. 
I'm admitting, it's like an AA meeting. I'm admitting from all of you, I'm an expert on bitterness. Um, part of my salvation experience, I was at a youth camp, and uh, we, the message, all that I can remember was on Jesus giving the cup to his father, saying, "This take this cup from me, not my will, but yours. And um, I know that God was talking to me about all the bitterness and anger that I, I was experiencing in my life. I, my childhood wasn't the greatest childhood. I had a lot of trauma. And uh, so I was a very bitter person. Bitter and angry, and you, you couldn't necessarily tell on the outside, but on the inside, I knew that I was just kind of wasting away. And so that message touched me, and there I sat at the altar for, for an hour probably, getting the, the altar completely wet with snot and tears, just crying out to God, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. I don't want to be angry anymore. I don't want to be bitter anymore. I want all that you have for me. Your will, not my will. That was when I was about 15, and then a couple of years later, I went and joined a ministry, and we had to take the Taylor Johnson personality test. I don't know if you guys have ever taken that. I think that's the name of it. And uh, one of the things that it came out with was that I was hostile. Now, wait a second. I had just gotten rid of all that at the altar when I was a teenager, so I am not hostile. I don't know what you're talking about. And so it, I had to, you know, pray about that and, and walk in that journey. And so there I am, hostile again. And then, you know, I, I live my life. And, uh, and one of the things, how, how many of you guys take the Enneagram? You know what that is? We love personality tests because we don't want to know all about ourselves. But uh, Faith and I, we, we share in the love of the Enneagram. And so I am a one, which is the reformer or perfectionist. And um, they are resentful. <laughs> so there's the bitterness thing. Again, I can't, you know, get away from it. And my husband likes to make fun of me because I love breakup songs. Any breakup, you know, Adele, um, uh, Slash My Tire song, like all those songs. I just, you know, I love breakup songs. I just love what it musters in yourself. And then, and then 20 years after I take the Taylor Johnson, I have to take it again. And I am expecting to be, you know, like roses, except for it tells me that I'm still hostile. So here you have an expert in bitterness. And maybe that's why when we're going to read this text together, when I read this text, it hit me so hard. Maybe because God was speaking to me, but I knew it was something that I needed to share. So if you would turn with me to Matthew 25. And we're going to talk about the parable of the talents. And a lot of times you may have heard this in maybe an offering devotional or using your talents, using your time to advance the kingdom. But I want to share with you today that actually... It's a story of bitterness. Matthew 25, 4 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. And I want to explain this a little bit. When it says that he left his servants with money and went on his way, it isn't in the context of servants that we know today. In fact, that time, servants could often earn money to buy property from themselves. So there was an investment for them to be able to take care of the property that their master had left them. And in fact, their master, he had servants that he would entrust, that he trusted and loved enough to leave his property to. And so he expected that there would be a reciprocal relationship. I'm going to leave you this to take care of, and because of that, you will gain something. So then it says, then he le then left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. 
The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used their money. Let me pause right here. I spent a lot of time at home by myself as a child. And this is like when your mom comes home after you've been alone, and what's the first question that she asks? What? There you go. You're a mom. There it is. And so we, we lived on a gravel dirt road for a long time, and so we would be watching TV, something we weren't supposed to do, and we would hear them coming up in the road and turn the TV off real quick, and then she'd come in and say, what have you been doing? Nothing. We're just doing all the things that you're supposed to do. And then one time she felt the back of the TV, and it was warm. She got us. Got us. But anyway, that's like, Mom, coming back. What have you been doing? And so the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. You guys still with me? Got a little more reading to do. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. This is the scripture that caught me one morning in my devotions. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. There's two stories happening here, two types of people, two sides to the story. There's the servants that were left with some money, and they did well with it. See, they must have thought well of their master to do good with the money that he had given them. But then there's the servant who says that this master is a harsh man. And it, he almost makes it seem like he did the right thing by hiding the money. And i got to be honest, when I've read this verse before, I've identified with this servant like, why would I have to do something with your money? That's your job. But as I read this scripture in my devotions, I caught something that there are two sides to the story. And see, there are the servants, there are people that have had good masters in your lifetime. You were given two bags of talents, two bags of something. You were given five bags of something. And see, you had good experience with parents or bosses or teachers or whatever it might be in your life. And so you saw these two bags as gifts. And to you, what your authority has told you, you would do no different. You would follow them because you have a healthy perspective of what it is to have a good boss or a good master. But there are some of you in this room that have the one bag. And all you've experienced is people in your life that have been over you that have pushed you down. Maybe it's a parent that told you that you could be nothing, that you will always be dumb. Maybe it's a teacher that told you you will never graduate. You will never be anything good in your life. Maybe it's bosses upon bosses upon bosses that have made your life a living you-know-what. And some of us, most of us, I would say, have had those experiences in small amounts, but a lot of us keep having it 
over and over again. So you become conditioned to do what you have to do to make your life survive. So you can't see anything beyond that. And so what happens is the ones that see our masters and our servants' authority as good, you double things. You make better with what you have. So two becomes four and five becomes ten. But those of us that have only experienced authority that pushes us down, the one becomes a thing that we can't let go of. See, the one becomes like a bitterness pet. That's what I like to call it. The one bag becomes something I'm going to hold on to this because I don't want to let this go. See, the, re- the definition of, of bitterness is anger and disappointment of being treated unfairly, resentment. It's a feeling of deep anger and resentment. It's an emotion which encompasses both anger and hate. And often people who are bitter to the wor- appear to the world as going around ticked off at everyone and everything. You know these people. They're the people that are driving, and you just do a little mistake, right? And they're, like, making all kinds of funny hand signals to you, right? I always like to say when that happens, um, like, you've never done anything wrong, okay? Like, you've never made a mistake. If I could be in their car, I'd be telling them that, right? And then I was driving with a friend the other day, and he said, yeah, like, you've ever walked on water, I said, Ken, that is a good one. I gotta, I'm going to give that to you guys. Like you've ever walked on water. It's the people that are standing in line and just cannot stand to stand in line. And so they make it a living, you know what, for everybody else in line, right? It's the people where you're driving in the woods or in the mountains or the ocean, and it's the most beautiful place that you've ever been in, and it's the person that goes, well, this is okay. I mean, I could do better. It's those people that have never experienced uh, proper authority or an idea of what it's like to live without bitterness. So it becomes such a seed in their life. It's injustice at our core. It goes down to the deepness of who we are, and we hold on to it, and we can't let it go because it becomes like a security blanket. It is ours. And see, here's the thing. There is bitterness against people. And this is often what we focus on. I'm bitter against this person because they have done something against me. But there is a foundational bitterness that digs deeper than the bitterness against anybody else. And that is a bitterness against our Father. See, when people have hurt us and we hold on to the bitterness, we become bitter at our God. The one that created it all. And that's when we start to distrust that his plan is best. And that his will is going to be our greatest. And that he is doing all things good for us. And we start to become bitter at who he is and what he has created us to be. The gifts that he has given us are no longer the perfect gifts that he has given us. But they're just a small representation of who we are. That's what it becomes. And, and so the question begs, why does God allow these things to happen? And, and there are lots of answers to that question. But I believe that one of the reasons why God allows bad things to happen to us is because he wants us to become better because of it. He wants us to um, journey through that trial because he knows at the end we will be better because of it. There will be things that come out of that that you can't even imagine, that you can't even see, but you will be better because of it. And this is something I couldn't completely grasp until I became a mother. See, I live in a world where I would like everything to be fair. 
That would be perfect. I would really enjoy everything to be fair. And I've had a lot of, uh, you know, reality checks where it's not fair. And now I have three kids, and, and life is not fair for them. And, and here I am, the one that's giving them the unfairness. <laughs> and so, I, I, like I said, I have a 10-year-old daughter. She's going on 30. And um, she, she uh, her name's Clara. And so one day, we're trying to get them make their lunches. And, and a lot of people, you're just like 10-year-old, don't already make their lunches. I know. I just, I don't know. It's just a thing. So I decided, no, I need her to make her lunch. And so we said, this year, the 10-year and 8-year-old, you're going to start making your own lunches. And at first, they're really excited because they, they thought they would get to pick whatever they wanted to. They're wrong. Um, so we, we, you know, have a, kind of a list thing of, of what you're supposed to get. And so it was one night, she was tired, and, and so I said, Clara, it's time to make your lunch. And she didn't want to make her lunch. And so we kind of had this, like, no, Clara, you need, you know, you got to make your lunch. And, and, and how many of you have had 10-year-old girls in here? Okay, you don't have to have them right now, but you've had them. Okay, yeah, you know what this is, what's happening. Like, the, the emotions are starting to muster up inside of her, and I don't want to make my lunch. And, no, no, you need to make your lunch. I don't want to make my lunch. And, and so all of a sudden, she turns into this, like, I want to say, like, a Tasmanian devil. And it's like, I don't want to make my lunch. I don't have to make lunch. Why do they have to make lunch? She doesn't have to make her lunch. I don't want to make my lunch. And it's just like this. Then the world is ending because I've just made my 10-year-old make her lunch. But here's the thing. I, I need her to make her lunch. One reason is I don't have any food in the house. I want her to figure out what to put in there. Okay, it's not my job. And then also I need her to go to college knowing how to make her lunch. Okay, because she's not going to have food in college, so I need her to figure out how to make lunch with not really a lot in the house because that's not going to be my job when she's in college. And all of you who have kids in college, you're like, no, it's still your job. <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair that my 10-year-old has to make her lunch and my 5-year-old doesn't. But what I need my 10-year-old to do is figure out how to do it so that she can live a life better. And so the, that's a simple way to explain it, but that's the best way for me to give you a picture of that, what God is trying to do when injustice comes at you, when things that you never would expect to happen do, when you've had a life that is not as good as your neighbor's, God knows something about you. He knows something about you that you don't even know. And he's giving you the gifts to live out a life that is fulfilling and whole. 1 Corinthians 12.4 says, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. I want you guys to hear this. It's the same God. It's the same God. It's the same perfect, matchless God. It's the same God that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is the same God that has created the universe and you. It is the same God that's created the mountains and the oceans. Everything good he has created. He has created you and he has created your gifts. Equally but different. And so we don't want life to be fair. Because we would miss out on all that God has See, what's so beautiful about this church that I'm sitting in, and it's the same with my church in Sacramento, is that it's diverse. And if everybody looked like Pastor Josh, well, I mean, it's your decision if that's good or bad. We can't all be beekeepers. We don't want everybody to look the same. 
What you guys here have in this room and this diversity is one of the most beautiful pictures that you can ever have. Because in each one of you, there is something different to bring to the table. In each one of you, there are different gifts. There are different backgrounds. There are different expectations. There are different creativity. There are different things in each one of you. And if we were all the same, then we would miss out on all those things. See, God gives us gifts that are different to bring to the table because he knows that the picture of all those things is better than you could ever imagine. God is concerned about the individual. He is concerned about the masterpiece he has created in you. He doesn't want you to be like everyone else. If we go to verse 26, it says, But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops and I didn't, that I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit the money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest in it. See, what the servant did instead of deposit in the bank is he took his one bag and he put it in the ground. Nobody would see it. Nobody would know where it's at. Nobody could do anything with it. He kept it from himself, for himself. There are four ways that bitterness inhibits us. One is that bitterness blurs our vision in two ways. One is that bitterness blurs our vision of who God is, and it blurs our vision of who we can become. See, what happens is that we see God differently than who he is. He becomes the enemy. He becomes farther away. But actually what has happened is that God has stayed in the same place because he is the same yesterday and tomorrow, today and forever. But you have begun to walk away from him because of your bitterness. And so you are standing here saying, God is far from me. He has walked away from me. But in fact, you have journeyed away from him because of your bitterness. And then second, it blurs who we can become. See, the servant didn't think he could get more. The servant with the one bag was mad that he only got one bag. Instead of saying, I'm going to take this one bag and I'm going to do my best with this one bag because I trust in my master's best, I'm going to get rid of this one bag because I don't, can't do anything with it. Do you guys know these people? They live a life that is very sad. Because with that one bag, those gifts, they just hide it in the ground. And you can see the potential in them, but they can no longer see the potential in themselves. They can't see a life better than some, for themselves. See, here's the thing. God isn't going to pick up your hands and physically make you do what you need to do. He partners with you. He has given you free will. And so we are partners, think about this, with the most masterful boss that is ever created. He's not putting his thumb on us, making us do all these things. He's inviting us to come alongside of him and to live this life with him. He's not asking you to hide away while he shines. No, in fact, he's asking you to shine. He wants you to shine his light on you so you can display all that he is. He has better for you. There is a better life for you. <coughs> bitterness creates false truths. Number two, bitterness creates false truths. See, what it says is that God wants to harm us. See, what happens is we are bitter, and so we start to believe false truths, things that are not godly things. Excuse me. 
We start to believe that we are failing if we are not healed. We start to believe that um, we are not doing the right thing if we face adversity. If I go through this struggle, I must be doing something wrong. We start to believe that if we are poor, we are cursed. If we have bad health, we are cursed. If something is going wrong, we have done something that has offended the king of kings. But in fact, you have done nothing wrong. You can do nothing to earn his love. It is given to you freely. Bitterness creates false truth. Number three, bitterness focuses on less. What's the least I can do to get away with what I deserve? See, the, the, the guy with the one bag, he takes the bag and he thinks he's doing the right thing, weirdly, by, by putting it in the ground. What's the least I can do to get away with the most? What's the least I can do to do what I'm supposed to do? Like uh, Pastor Dean said, I've been a youth pastor for, was a youth pastor for almost 20 years in youth ministry. And I see this all the time with youth. Where they'd, we'd be talking about uh, sexuality or something like this and it's the love month or whatever. And so we have a question and answer panel. And the question always is, how far can I go before it's a sin? Right? And I would always say, why do you want to get to that line? Why do you want to be standing right here, ready to jump off the cliff, just because you want to get the most out of what you've been given, but not go across that line? You want to do the least to get the most. Bitterness focuses on less. And then number four, bitterness relies on self. And see here he says, um, he says, look what I did. I put the money in the ground. I hid it. You couldn't do this, so I did it. You are a harsh man, so I took care of it. I was afraid. I hid it. Look what I did. Bitterness creates a selfish outlook on what our life is. Instead of living with an open hand where you give all that you've been given, all the gifts, all the goodness, all the betterness, you give it back to God. Listen, that is a very hard thing to do. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about love. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about our time. I'm talking about whatever it might be in your life that you are holding on to. God just wants you to give it back because he knows that there is better. Verse 28, then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. See, what happens is the bag becomes just a dirty mess. And not only does now he not get to keep it, but he goes to another servant. And see, God, he knows that you have gifts, but he knows what he has to do in this world. He knows that he has a mission to complete, and that is for people to come to know him. For people to come to salvation so that they can send, uh, spend eternity with him. So he will do what he has to do. <coughs> but there is a better way to live. There is a better way to live. I don't know if you guys have seen in the news the last couple of months, there was a, a, a cop that um, he, she went into the wrong house, or the wrong apartment, and she accidentally shot a uh, black man in his own home doing nothing wrong. 
but she accidentally shot him. I'm going to show you a video real quick, and it's the brother after the trial's over. And he's talking to the, to the cop that has killed her brother. And I want to tell you, I have no specific opinion on who's right or wrong. There's too many complications to the issue. I can't really give comment on that, but it, I don't want to because I think it would take away from this very moment. I want you to watch as this brother speaks to the cop with all of his heart. Let's show the video. Better. See, that, that boy, that 18-year-old boy, he could have lived a life of bitterness. <clears throat> and many people would say it's okay. Many people would say you have a right to be bitter about what God has done. You have a right to be bitter because a man, a mere human woman took your brother from you too young. He didn't deserve it. But instead, this 18-year-old has just given back his life for love. Not just that, not just for his own forgiveness, but this 18-year-old boy has done so so that this woman would know the salvation of Christ. He's not just concerned for himself. He's concerned for her eternal condition. See, bitterness would have you say that it's all about me. That I have the right to be angry at God. That I have the right to be angry at others. But just as you have been given eternal grace for something that you don't deserve, so shall everybody else have the opportunity for eternity with our loving Savior. And what you might not know is I watched this video for the, the entirety of it. It's a very long video. Is that after he gave her a, lo- a hug, and it was a very long hug, and it was several, like, they were talking to each other. And, and that's the part really that just made me kind of start crying because um, that doesn't happen in courtrooms, that you're allowed to go hug the offender, the, the murderer. But not only that, the judge, when she left the room, she turned around and came back and walked up to the cop. And she handed the cop a Bible. And she said, read this. Read this. So that boy, not only did he give his life so that he would not be bitter. See, he surrendered all the things that he had a right to be angry about. Not only did he um, share the gospel with this woman, but he inspired a judge to go get her Bible and hand it to the murderer. If I don't, if you, if that is not better, then I don't know what is better to you guys. That to me is better living. That to me is a better life. See, he has chosen a life that is of abundance. See, what has happened is that he has taken the bags that God has given him, and he has added bags. He has taken all the bags that he has, and he has added more to what it is. And God is just pouring out the anointing on this young man because it didn't happen just in that one video that there is better. <clears throat> But some of you guys have seen this video. The world will see this video, and Jesus will be on display for what he can do in somebody's life, and there will be better for them. Verse 29, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have abundance. See, there are some of you in this room that you have placed expectations on God. 
and then he didn't come through and you're bitter. You assume that God would be some kind of way and then he wasn't and you're bitter. You have been going to church, reading your Bible, doing the Christian thing, and you don't feel him in the room and you're bitter. You have been praying for something, seeking something, searching for something, and it hasn't come to you, and so you are bitter. Somebody has done something to you, maybe over and over again or just once, and you are bitter. Some of you have been so hurt by people in the church, those that didn't act like Jesus, and you become bitter at Jesus because you think that they are a reflection of who he is, and you're bitter. But God has been saying something to me so clearly in this message, and that is he does not want you to be bitter. He wants you to be better. He wants you to begin to take the limits off what you have done. He wants you to take those limits off of him so that he can freely give to you what he wants to give to you because he has better for you. He has abundance. He has more gifts than you can ever imagine. He wants better for you. He wants a better life. He wants better relationships. He wants better dreams for you. He has a better vision for you. He has better hopes for you. It's not just about cars or houses or things, but he has a better life that is going to reach the world for the gospel. See, he has better in you. And whoever, if we're going to play, we can come right now. Verse 29, it says, but from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. This is a very hard verse to read because we don't desire for people to be gone from us forever, right? But the truth is, God doesn't want to be apart from you either. See, this portion of scripture is nestled among uh, uh, many other passages about the end coming, the coming of Jesus. It's about Jesus coming back and us being ready for him. See, this scripture isn't just about bitterness or about using our gifts, about using our talents. See, this scripture, this passage is about being ready for our king to come back because he is coming back. Because he is coming back to a bride that he wants to be ready for him. Because he is coming back to a people that he wants to take with him to eternity, to a heaven that is perfect, that is matchless, that has, you can't even imagine what it's like. That is perfect love. He is coming back for a people that he wants their hearts to be ready for his return. And he wants you to know that he will help you get there. But you have to be willing to accept his help. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. That would help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the mission of Central Valley Church, go to cbcmadera.churchcenter.com for more information. We love you. God bless.